I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 266. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. I hope you took the challenge I laid down last week to remember what God had done for you or has done for you and continues to do for you and to journal your dialogue with God. That's what David did in Psalm 18. He laid out all that God had done in a song of praise to the Heavenly Father. Why am I talking about Psalm 18 this week? Well, because I was inspired by Francesca Battistelli's song, Defender, to consider where that characteristic of God is found in the Bible. And the first verse of Psalm 18 in the Good News Translation says, How I love you, Lord. You are my defender. Before we dive into scripture, let's listen. There are a few different ways you could approach this psalm. Now, depending on, upon your translation, it may tell you that David wrote it and when and why. And the ESV or the English Standard Version starts out by saying, To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, in some translations, it may even point you back to 2 Samuel chapter 22. You can find almost this entire song there, and if you so choose, you could back up in 2 Samuel and read David's story that led up to this song. However, I had the opportunity to hang out with my youngest daughter after spending a couple of weeks reading over this psalm several times, and so I used a Bible interaction tool exercise that is perfect to share with friends. I call the Bible interaction tool exercises that I use in my study, I call them bites for short, and I've already alluded to a few. Um, I read Psalm 18 several times. That's using the bite of repetition. Never, ever, ever underestimate this as a tool. Reading it again and again uh, helps you get more familiar with it. And it, it also engenders this idea that you're going to spend time in God's Word. And you're not just a one and done kind of studier. And I said you could go ahead and read Second Samuel to learn more about the context of this song. That's using the bite of reading in context. You can also gain some perspective if you read about the historical context of this psalm. And so I actually have the English Standard Version Study Bible, and it was there that I learned that this song in 2 Samuel 22 and the version here in Psalm 18 differ in that 
the one found in 2 Samuel, is David's personal expression of gratitude to the Lord, while Psalm 18 is the adaptation to that song for the whole people to sing, because their well-being is now tied to the offspring of David. Now let's back up to the meta-narrative or the big story of the Bible. Who is that offspring of David that our well-being is tied to? Well, it's Jesus, of course. So when I read this psalm again, now my perspective changed. You know, after considering that when God's people sang it, they were to give thanks for the Davidic line and to pray that its heirs would be faithful to the Lord and would be valiant military leaders so that Israel might carry out its God-given purpose of bringing light to the Gentiles. Now, another bite that I use this week is one I've only introduced a couple of times, and each time I've used it, uh, once in episode 241, once in episode 247, I've kind of used it, I've implemented it slightly differently every time, so there's no right way to do this. But this week, as I mentioned, I was sitting across from my youngest daughter while working on the podcast. I went ahead and included her in the discussion or in my study, and I use, I call that bite one word. So the way one word works is that you read a verse or a small section of verses with one or more friends, and each person picks one word that jumps out at them, and then you can discuss why. So... Let's dive right in because that's exactly what Meredith and I did. So Psalm 18 verses 1 through 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Now Meredith's one word was rock. And when I asked her why, she said it was because it was mentioned a couple of times in these just three verses. And just like that, she's on to something. Okay, when God's word repeats itself, it's like putting exclamation points all over the place. Now, when I pressed her a little bit further, I asked what she thinks about when she thinks about God being a rock. She said that it makes her think of a foundation and a foundation made of rock stands firm. Now, my daughter is in sixth grade, and I happen to know that she's learned many grammar lessons. So I asked her, what is it called when the Bible says, the Lord is my rock? What's the grammar term for it? She she gets a gold star because she answered correctly. She said, it's a metaphor. And that's exactly right. Uh, I was listening to a message recently where the speaker was pointing out that God uses similes and metaphors of common things in the world today to help us understand characteristics about him. You see, God wants us to know him. He is infinite and we are finite. So he uses finite things to describe himself to us. Isn't that amazing? It's the action of a caring and loving father who wants us to know him, recognizing our limitations. He comes down and explains himself in a way that we will understand him. So don't take... Uh, the fact that we can learn something about God for granted, especially what Meredith pointed out. He's our rock. He stands firm. All right, let's keep reading. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. And that's uh, Psalm 18 verses 3 through 5. 
Now, in this section, Meredith chose the word saved. She said that everything sounded dull and dark and saved jumped out at her. Sure enough, you know, when destruction assails us and we feel entangled in death, salvation shines like a bright light in the darkness. We are saved from our enemies by God, our rock. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 6, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. In this verse, Meredith pointed out, heard. She said that it's important to remember that God hears our prayers. Yes and amen. Our God is a rock. He's solid and firm in our lives. Our God saves, but he's not impersonal and uncaring. He also hears. And it's not that death doesn't exist and that destruction doesn't assail us, that enemies aren't against us and that we won't cry. But we can rest assured that when we cry out, our God hears our cry. So let's move on. Verses 17 through 15. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. This time, Meredith chose angry because, in her words, the whole section sounded angry. And I kind of agree. It kind of sounds like a dragon, don't you think? And I know that some people only think of God as angry, waiting to pounce. And in an effort to not feel bad, others have overemphasized God's love and compassion at the exclusion of of the idea that God may bust up evil with his anger and rebuke. But if if you have ever experienced injustice, isn't it comforting to know that we serve a God who won't let that go forever? There will be a fiery rebuke. So let's keep reading. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, Meredith recently gave a dramatic Bible prose speech in uh, the state speech meet. And she told the, the speech that she memorized tells the story of Moses and how the Pharaoh's daughter gave him the name Moses because she drew him out of the water and Moses meant to draw out. And when you consider that God drew Moses out of the water and rescued him so that he could in turn use Moses to rescue his people, it is indeed an interesting comparison. And not only does he rescue, but he brings us out into a broad place, a wide place. And why? Because he delighted in David and he delights in his children. 
I could spend a whole podcast. I love that word delight, and I want to bring delight to my father. But let's keep reading to see the characteristics that we should aspire to. In verses 20 through 24, David says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Now, while this seems like a pretty prideful list, I'm not sure that David is saying he was perfect, but that it was the overall pattern of his life. Okay, so let's use the bite of making a list because I really wanted to go back and say, what exactly is he saying about himself? And so uh, the Bible interaction tool exercise of making a list, that's just the way my brain thinks. I go back and I take chunks of scripture and I write them out in a list. So let's see what we find here. First, we see righteousness and then clean hands keeping the ways of the Lord, not departing wickedly from God, keeping God's rules before before him. He did not put, a God, uh, put away God's statutes. He was blameless and he kept himself from guilt. Now, I think it's words like blameless and kept myself from guilt that throws me. You know, I mean, I, I'm thinking to myself, no one is blameless. I mean, that would imply that you're without sin, which the only, only human ever to be without sin was Jesus. And that was because he was God in human flesh. But I think what I I think what David is saying here is that it was not a pattern of David's life to walk in disobedience and sin. And what is the result? God's reward. And I think we want the reward without living the blameless life. And it's not this like quid pro quo or anything. I mean, just because you live a righteous life doesn't mean you won't have trouble. Did you forget the verses we just read? You know, enemies that hated him and were too strong for him. That part where he was entangled in death and distressed under torrents of destruction. So that doesn't mean that we won't have trouble. But the God re- God rewarded him for walking and continuing to walk in obedience to him. And I think that is something that I want my life to be a reflection of. Not that I am uh, without sin, but that I am Uh, It is a pattern of my life to walk in the right ways. So let's keep reading. In verses 25 through 27, it says, With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. And with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Now here we learn more about God's character and his patterns. And it kind of reminds me of a story. There was once a salesman or a fable that I've heard once. There was once a salesman who was approaching a small town on foot and he encountered a farmer working in a field just outside of town. And he flagged him down and he asked what kind of people he could expect in the next town. And the farmer asked, well, what kind of people did you experience in the last town? And the salesman released a bitter sigh and described the last town full of backbiting liars who couldn't be trusted. And the farmer replied, I expect you'll find the same kind of people in the next town. And then hours, and of course, the salesman goes off sad because he's frustrated that he's going to have another negative experience in the next town. And then a few hours later, another salesman strolls by the field and engages the farmer. He says, well, what kind of people can I expect in the next town? And the farmer farmer asks, well, what kind of people did you experience in the last town? And the salesman grinned and he said they were lovely and gracious. They would give you the shirt off their back. I hardly wanted to leave. 
And the farmer replied, I expect you'll find the same kind of people in the next town. So when David tells us that God will show himself merciful to those who are merciful, I think of that fable. You see, because God is always merciful. That is his characteristic. His character doesn't change just because we are or are not merciful. You see what I'm saying? But the verse didn't say he would be merciful. He said he would show himself merciful. And just like the salesman, it's not about the character of God. It's about our own perception and expectation. And just like the verse reminds us to the crooked, you show yourself tortuous. I can see that. I can see how tortuous it is to to serve a blameless and merciful God when you're not walking in mercy and living a blameless life. Just gives me something to think about. I just never really considered it from that perspective before. So maybe it'll give you something to think about as well. Now, if we take all of this out of context and we don't keep reading, we might miss exactly how David was able to live a righteous and victorious life in the midst of distress. Well, verse 28 and 29, it says, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. You see, the dark impossible tasks are made possible through the Lord. And he keeps, he keeps on, David keeps on just, just sharing ideas of praise. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. Now, my one word links back to the idea of God being our defender. And my one word is shield. His salvation is is our shield. It is our defense against our enemies and torturous circumstances. It's not our strength. It's God who equips us with strength and makes our way blameless. He trains us for war. He has given us his shield of salvation and supports us with his own hand. The broad place is so that our feet won't slip. It's broad and it's even and it's wide. And, and But even so, he gives us feet like a deer, able to leap over those walls and survive on uneven ground. There's so much in here. We're running out of time today, but I want you to keep reading. There are 50 verses in this psalm. We've made it all the way through verse 36. You won't glean all this wonderful truth about God unless you slow down to take it all in. He is indeed your defender. His salvation is your shield. Anything you are comes from him. And now it's appropriate to stop and thank him. So what's next? We'll read through Psalm 18. And I suggest reading it with a friend. Try this. Exchange your one words. It's just a great way to consider the amazing characteristics of the Lord and all that we should aspire to be equipped by him, of course. And while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneesat.com. You can hop on Twitter at michellekneesat or Instagram at michellekneesat or on Facebook, Michelle L. Nizat is my public page. And let's talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed recently, like Faith from California. Olga from Germany, Dana from somewhere in the U.S., Shelby from Alabama, Catherine from Illinois, Julie from Ohio, and Diane from the U.K., welcome. 
New subscribers to my website will benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites that I've used on the podcast. It's a great place to start. And subscribers will also benefit from an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You'll get an email recap of the week's episode, and you get instant access to any of the resources I create for my episodes from time to time. And all of this is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. And have you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet? Uh, This really encourages me. Of course it does. But it helps me stay visible to new listeners as well. And if you, as always, if you take the time to personally review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Just like Shelby who writes, I happened upon this podcast when my faith had grown stagnant. Michelle's encouragement to go deeper into God's word has instilled in me a desire to learn more about God by studying his word. Thank you. God is using this podcast. Wow, Shelby, thank you so much. I'm humbled and I'm so excited for you because God will meet you on the other side of your effort. And of course, you can listen to the podcast through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. We are also on Joy 103.1 every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will use the song Best News Ever by Mercy Me. If you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 266. And while you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.